you got to understand fear. They didn't just lynch people to be lynching folks. They lynched people to create an atmosphere of fear. And it worked. To keep them from voting and doing a whole lot of other things. But voting is only one element of politics. Mississippi was a whole lot smarter than most people. They eliminated blacks totally from the political arena. They eliminated them from the economic arena. They eliminated them from the social arena. And those are the things that's got to be put back in place. And believe you me, they have not been put back in place yet. Welcome to St. Louis in Tune, where we size up current and historic events involving people, places, and things in areas such as the arts, crime, education, employment, faith, finance, food, history, housing, humor, justice, and sports. Our weekly podcast gives you the edge to live a more informed life. We discuss more than just St. Louis as we connect the gateway city to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. We're not having an old-fashioned show today. Mm -hmm. We're having a show that is very current, and we're honored to have uh, Mr. James Meredith on our show today in an interview that we're going to be talking to him about. Now, he's been described, this is not his description, I'm going to read his description in a minute, but some people have described him as an American civil rights movement figure, writer, political advisor, and Air Force veteran. He describes himself as literally the baddest dude on planet Earth. He's the biblical David. He's a Zen samurai, invincible. He's not a civil rights activist. He's not a protester. He's not a pacifist, not a Republican, not a Democrat. His political affiliation is black. He's an American citizen. Yeah. A son of Mississippi. Yes. He's a warrior and on a mission from God. James Meredith, welcome to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, I tell you... I like that description better than any other. Well, that's because you wrote it. (laughs) <laughs> Somebody was was. That's probably why I like it so much. Because <laughs> you had I read your book yesterday, which is a mission from God, a memoir and challenge for America, and it's very very interesting in light of some of the things that we're going through in our current day political situation, Mister Meredith. But I wanted to mention that this was something from your youth that has been impressed on you from your father Cap, from your mom and from your time in Japan, that all of a sudden this mission that you had to fulfill, uh, which kind of culminated uh, in 1962 at the University of Mississippi, uh, was something that was really a part of your, your blood. And guess what? We are today beginning the last mission from God, which is to focus on God, And Jesus Christ is the way to God because Jesus Christ is the answer to all of the problems that we confront today. Can I say amen? (laughs) We could a lot say amen. Yeah. You started your first mission to integrate uh, the University of Mississippi, and you love the state of Mississippi, as I read in your book. You find that land gorgeous. More than anything else because it's the center of the universe. It is the epitome of everything. It's the epitome of the number one problem in the world, 
which is the rich-poor problem, and the most significant of all problems, the black-white problem. Mississippi is the epitome of both. And in your book, you said you really didn't experience that black-white problem until you had to take a train. At 15. Until I was 15, I knew we had two groups of people, but I didn't know mine was supposed to be the inferior one. And you weren't raised that way. Your your father raised you to respect all and to be a man. And guess why that was? That was because his mother had taught him every book of the Bible before he was 12 years old. I didn't know until I was past 50 where it come from, but he had taught me every book in the Bible before I was 12 years old. And that is about not just God, Jesus Christ. And that's where we have to go now, to Jesus Christ. How did he teach you about that, Mr. Meredith? Was it in his actions? Yeah, how? Did he did he tell you about the stories? Did he read to you, or did he live it, or all of the above? He couldn't read, but uh, he primarily... It was the stories, uh, but not the typical stories of the Bible. He told all of the elements of the Bible as a story. Now, but the other thing, and I've never said this before publicly, but the most significant thing that happened in my life was the theoretically the worst thing ever happened in my daddy's life. When I was seven years old, my daddy came down with what they call in them days a bad case of sugar, meaning sugar diabetes. I have it too. But at that time, they didn't have the medications or the cures that they have now. So when I was seven years old, I think my daddy was 40-something. He came down with the sugar diabetes, which meant he couldn't do the work like he had been doing. So as it ended up, I had to become his helpmate. We were still horse and buggy. I know you read somewhere that I, we were poor, dirt farmers in Mississippi. But of course, in reality, that made us rich people in Mississippi, because I was born in 1933, the height of the Depression. But I was born on an 84-acre farm, which meant that we could grow everything we needed to live, all the food we needed to eat. only thing we had to buy was sugar, and we didn't drink coffee. So we, uh, I mean, sugar and a couple of other things you couldn't grow. I'm going to hurt my mouth because a lot of people, the first stop out of Mississippi for people who could escape was St. Louis. At least that's where my relatives went. Mm -hmm. One of my questions relates to your heritage, and I found it it very interesting that your great-grandfather's on your mom's side and your dad's side, 
you had you come from a very unique heritage that I think uh, the listeners would find fascinating. Could you talk a little bit about that for a moment? You're talking about my grandparents. Yes, your your great grandparents. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, well, of course, on the mother's side. When I say mother, my dad is mother's side was Native American, and on my uh, the paternal side, my father's mother's father was European, not only European. He was the most powerful man ever to come through the state of Mississippi. He was the speaker of the House of Mississippi when the Civil War started. He is the person that was sent to Montgomery to the Confederate Convention uh, when they withdrew from the Union. He was the president, uh, a pro tem, I think they call it, the only one of the Confederacy. That was my great-grandfather, J.A.P. Campbell. And on the other side was General Sam Cobb, who was a new United States Native American general. That was my grandfather on on my father's mother's side. Now, I don't think people realize that. I I didn't. When you described in your book about your great-grandfather, who who actually ended up also on the Supreme Court in Mississippi, and... The longest-serving Supreme Court justice in the history of Mississippi till to this day. He wrote the Constitution of 1890... Who everybody that know anything know is the Constitution that established white supremacy for the first time in the history of the world. Now that's exactly what I wanted the listeners to hear, because it makes what you did that much more powerful. And 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 you knew that in your past. I don't think people knew that about you. I didn't know that about you till I read your book. But you knew that going but into you applying. J.A.P. Campbell, my granddaddy you talking about, raised my father. You understand that? Yep. What do you think he imparted to your father? The principal thing was that he didn't believe that his blood could be... You ever heard you saying blood is thicker than water? Mm-hmm. I mean, he actually believed in white supremacy. But he also believed that his blood should have the right to vote. This is the thing I didn't write too much about in my book. The Constitution of 1890 was when they established that Constitution was 25 years after the end of the Civil War. That is the first time the issue of the black-white thing after slavery was decided. And as you probably know, what was decided was to take blacks, take the political power that the Reconstruction government had given to blacks, was to take it away. Mm -hmm. That was the Mississippi plan. That's why Mississippi is so important. I'm, t- I'm trying to frame some things for listeners because I- I'm really directing them to your book because I found your book fascinating. I found it really getting insights into who you are and why you did what you did. 
And I'm, I'm wondering if you could move a little bit now to when you enrolled at the University of Mississippi and the struggles that ensued, but you were very fervent. You, you had a focus. You were not going to be moved off of your mission. You were not going to be intimidated by verbal assaults or physical assaults. I want you to d- describe uh, a little bit about how that came about and your relationship with Medgar Evers and the attorney that the NAACP sent down and all of that, if you would. It was all Jesus Christ-based. And, and I believe beyond a doubt, first of all, as crazy as it might seem, I didn't think I could die because I genuinely believe if you was doing God's work, according to the teaching of Jesus Christ, he was going to take care of me. <laughs> I think I know better now, <laughs> but at that time, I thought I was on a mission from God as you know, the name of the book is a mission from God, okay? I mean, and it was because I really believed I was on a mission from God, and I believed as long as I was doing what God wanted me to do, I couldn't die. As stupid as that may sound, that's what I really believed then. There's nothing wrong with that. Makes sense to me. Well, but I think it makes sense for now. I think that this is the crisis we are in right now. Absolutely. You know, we are in the biggest political crisis, according to most people, of our lifetime. But the solution to that is Jesus Christ. On your mission that you felt you were on, well, that you were on, and you, you felt you were invincible— and you didn't let anything deter you. Can you uh, give us a little description about the night you were you were sleeping in the dormitory when the riot at Oxford happened? And I was, you know, I was very young when that happened. I don't remember that, and I honestly didn't know the extent of that riot. But it was pretty severe. A couple people were killed. Many were injured. First of all, that's the biggest lie that's ever been told. That was not a riot. That was an insurrection. And it was not them insignificant people. Don't you understand? That was an official thing done by the highest officials in the state of Mississippi. By the governor. That was an insurrection. And if you pay close attention, you will see that the President of the United States, John Kennedy, enacted for the first time since the Civil War, the Insurrection Act. That's why they could bring in 30,000-plus troops and occupy Mississippi. And that all happened before I was able to go. But they have hidden that. They call it a riot. The only insurrection is not a riot. An insurrection is an official government refusing to obey the orders of the higher government. And the higher government bringing in troops 
to enforce the law. That's what really happened. And I think that what's going to happen after this episode is over, people are going to from now on tell the truth. That's correct. That's correct. And there were more troops there, you mentioned in your book, that had been called into the United States since the Civil War at any time. Uh, Up to now. Right, exactly. Yeah. Do you find parallels between then and now? Uh, you're talking about 1962 and and and, and 2021, right? Situations. Uh, well, the only difference is the uh, shooting, but of course, there's more than parallel because they have almost as many troops in Washington alone as they brought into Mississippi. And if you count the fact that I heard that most of the governors were bringing in the military into the 50 capitals in the country. So actually it is bigger than it was after the firing of the uh, on Fort Sumner in South Carolina. This thing is big. I think Wednesday before last indicates how big it is. And people are still seeing all those images on television of what happened at the Capitol in Washington, D.C. The only time since the British in 1812 coming to the Capitol in Washington was what happened week before last. You commented earlier that your great-grandfather, when he laid out in the Constitution of the state of Mississippi, he codified white supremacy. And For the first time in history. Mm-hmm. And you spent your time, and you've, you're continuing to spend your time, overriding that, exposing that. And can you talk a little bit about why that continues to live in our country? Because man is both weak and selfish. And he's been that way the whole time. That's what Jesus Christ is about, working to make good and righteousness a goal of mankind. That's why Christianity, I believe, dominates the world today, because it focuses more on doing good and seeking righteousness than any other thing. And if we go back to that, America is going to solve its problem and become even a better place than it's been for the last 200 years. And individuals have to look at look at themselves and their actions in, in light of that, right? And that's what seek good, and that's what produce good. We're talking to James Meredith. He is talking to us from Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, Mr. Meredith... The center of the universe. The center of the universe, that's right. I have a question for you. Do you pronounce it Mississippi or Mississippi? Most of the time, Mississippi. (laughs) (laughs) That's not even any of the ones you said. (laughs) No. You all just got one thing, Mississippi. (laughs) Well, we got... We've got the hills, we've got the delta, we've got the Gulf Coast, you've we've got, got a bunch of Mississippi. You've got it all down there. 
Talk to us about the March Against Fear in uh, 1966. You had a real mission to march from Memphis to Jackson. And, uh, but the real purpose was, you got to understand, fear. They didn't just lynch people to be lynching folks. They lynched people to create an atmosphere of fear. And it worked. To keep them from voting and doing a whole lot of other things. But voting is only one element of politics. Mississippi was a whole lot smarter than most people. They eliminated blacks totally from the political arena. They eliminated them from the economic arena. They eliminated them from the social arena. And those are the things that's got to be put back in place. And believe you me, they have not been put back in place yet. It's still a work in progress. It needs a lot of progress. And only, only Jesus Christ, which is the way to God, can solve that problem. And that is to set out the big problem in Mississippi, in America, and the world today is a lowering, a breakdown of moral character. That's where we got to straighten out. Also something that for more than 50 years, I've been scared to touch. Why is that? Because everybody satisfied with what they have decided is their religion. And right now, you got to understand, Mississippi is known the world over for being the most Christian place in the world. But guess what Mississippi know about itself? It's the most hypocritical place in the world. It practices what it preaches less than any other place. And I think that's why Mississippi is going to be first to start uplifting moral character, and everybody else is going to follow suit. And you're going to be at the forefront of, of helping lead that. And what my God tells me, he'll be satisfied with me. If I get the Bible Society movement off the ground, you know, you know, the Bible has become sort of obsolete. But Bible is actually the most important moral character document in history. Now talk about your Bible Society that you have developed and you're encouraging around the state and the nation. Well, first of all, everybody in the world that's ever got anything called education, and that's all the Bible is about. Don't you understand? When the English first started teaching education, they simply had the Ten Commandments and from the Bible that they taught everybody. And the further we have got away from that, the worst things have become, and God telling me, shut your mouth, I told you, you talk too much, don't do enough work. <laughs> no, you're... you're so all you're going to do is, is run these people off. Uh, there's a lot, no. A lot of truth to what he's saying. There is, there is a lot of truth to what you're saying, Mr. Meredith, and people, some people trace that back to uh, prayer being taken out of schools back in 1962, and they see the decline of our 
the morality in our I country. I want to respond to that. I want to respond to that. Don't you understand? Even if it's true that they took prayer out of school, that did not take the responsibility away from Christians to teach it to the young and the uninstructed. That's a very good statement. Do you think parents have uh, abdicated responsibility of morality and faith? Okay. The most significant thing, everybody talk about the youth. But if you're 100 years old and don't have the uh, teaching and instruction of the Bible and of Jesus Christ, you have to be instructed. It's not just the young that has to be instructed. The uninstructed has to be taught. So no matter what their age? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it's more important for the elders to be taught when they don't know, because their responsibility is to teach the young, both by actual teaching and by example. Let me use that example thing for a moment. When you set out from Memphis to go to Jackson, you didn't have any places scheduled to stay. You didn't have any places scheduled to eat. I think you had $11.63 in your pocket. And you were relying on the goodness of people along the way who knew what you were doing. You were standing up against fear, and you said, nothing's going to stop me. You weren't afraid. You were showing individuals in the surrounding areas where you were going down the highway that they didn't have anything to fear. But they were also supporting you and providing for you. Well, but it's much, much deeper than that. The vast majority of blacks are named with biblical names. John, James, Miriam, Deborah, Sarah. Those are all biblical names. The vast majority of blacks have biblical names. And they were able to support you. Not only that, they felt the responsibility. Man ain't no place more equipped to do God's work according to the teachings of Jesus Christ than Mississippi and the rest of America. All we got to do is just do it. So what's stopping people? Not doing it. What's really stopping them is the desire to not do good. Don't you understand? That's what the devil is all about, not doing good. Good is doing good. Righteousness is seeking righteousness. And believe it or not, I've been scared to say those words. I've been scared to use the word moral character. Just those two words upset most people to the extent, uh, you know, even in Mississippi, when I say that blacks, my character should be uplifted. Everybody, white and black, the blacks, the whites too. Everybody know that everybody's moral character should be up to a certain level. And you're using Jesus as the standard. That is the standard. Jesus right. Christ is the way, and he's the only way. There is no other way to God. And people may disagree with you, and you're, what, 87, 88 years old? But you understand, most people disagree because they're scared to agree. But ain't nobody understands mm-hmm. fear more than me. 
but you understand what I feared. The reason why I haven't done God's work is because I was more concerned about man loving and liking me than I was pleasing God. And that's true of most people. Now, I didn't get that from your book when you were laying in the hospital bed after you were shot. I didn't write that in the book because I was scared to do it. Okay, okay. That's interesting. Actually, I didn't write nothing about my character. I was scared to use the word. The book is some years old. I was scared to use the word my character. I was scared to use it when my mother was still living because every time I said it around black, it made her mad. Don't you understand that? What has changed in your heart about saying that now? The times. I really think America is in deep trouble. I think this political thing, quite frankly, uh, I believe that we are closer to a shooting war than we have ever been since, I'm talking eternal war now, since the Civil War. You know, uh, this, what happened week before last is serious. Yes. Now, you also are working on a museum down in Oxford. Excuse me, not in Oxford, in uh, Jackson. Okay, but but now that is going to be, I promised God I was going to go to every town in the state of Mississippi and deliver the James Meredith Bible Society mission to uplift the moral character. But the biggest thing is a museum for James Meredith, but it ain't really James Meredith. The entire, every black church in the state of Mississippi should have a museum honoring the people who've been working to do good in their society. And that's, if it's nothing more than the photograph of the people who have reputations of being good, doing good, seeking righteousness, or being righteous, so that people, and some people do, appreciate. You you, you see, this black-white thing is complicated. And God telling me, shut your mouth, boy, I told you, you talk too much and don't do enough work. So say, shut your mouth and... and uh, Go do my work. Well, you are doing the work in this radio show. No, you you don't have to you shut your what? mouth here. I think you're right, and I hope you're right, because I ain't mentioned it before, but every time I think about St. Louis, I think about Mark Twain. But I think he's as much alive today as he was when he was writing about that black-white issue. And that's what he wrote about. That's right. Everybody lie about it and pretend that wasn't it, but that's what he wrote about. You talking about this reminded me of a statement you made in your book, and I'm going to quote it here. It says, this is the message that you want to deliver. You and I have a divine responsibility to transform America, to make it a better place for our children and our grandchildren through the power of love. It's not an option for us to love our fellow Americans in this way. It's not a choice. It's not an option. It is not a gift. It is our absolute ironclad, here's the word, moral responsibility. It is our destiny. It is the mission established for us. I believed it then. I believe it now. I was scared to try it then. And this is the first time I've ever said it publicly was today. Well, we appreciate your courage to to say it. 
And I have said a long time, almost a year now, that when this episode is over, meaning, first of all, the coronavirus thing, second of all, the black-white thing, particularly that rose up in May of last year with Floyd, uh, George, with Floyd. Floyd George Floyd, which is a rip. There ain't no difference between what happened to George Floyd and the worst lynching era of Mississippi in the uh, early 1900s. It's the same thing. The When this episode is over, Mississippi and the world ain't never going to be the same again. And I think Mississippi going to be more different from any other place because they know they have been nothing but liars and hypocrites. Most people still think, you're telling me shut up, judging ain't your business. No, we not. And you ain't supposed to be talking about other people. You you ain't doing your job. And he right. Well, and all, all you can do and that you're doing is give the message. And you're the messenger. And I want to read, I want to read a passage of Scripture, Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, and what you're telling me, and what I'm hearing from you, is that even though Mississippi, and it's just not Mississippi, but you're focused on Mississippi because that's where you live, and that's been a love of your life, growing up and, and living there. If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, you need to live faith. And many times those two don't cross for a lot of people. Is that what you're saying? But I'm not blaming the people. Oh, I know I'm that. I know that. That is, is, is that all men are weak and selfish. And if we realize that, we realize we can only try to do better. But that's what most people are fearful of doing. That's what I was scared of. I was scared of trying to do God's will. And that fear, we got to get rid of. That's what the walk against fear was about, to expose it, challenge it. But here, you got to understand now, when I started off, even when I got shot, the first thing I did was announce I ain't carrying a gun, I'm carrying the Bible. When I left from the Peabody Hotel in Memphis, the first thing anybody took a picture of was me holding up the Bible. When I got shot, the last picture I saw before I got shot was the Bible. And I now believe more strongly than ever that the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, is the answer to almost all of our problems. Thank you. Well, you you don't have to thank us. We I wanted you on the show, and I was very grateful that you took my uh, contact uh, that I made with you, because normally on this show, and we will do this in the next hour, we, we talk about Martin Luther King, and I know you knew Dr. King. You actually picked him up at the airport one time in your VW, and and he didn't talk to you. But he and you, never knew it. He never knew it. Yeah, and you, and you even challenged him about his um, his methods of how he uh, was dealing with the crisis that was going on. And believe you me, I was serious. And I I want to I kind of want to get into this a little bit because it intrigued me in the book that you're laying in the hospital bed suffering from your injuries from getting shot, and there are all of these civil rights leaders around your bed trying to get your approval to continue the march against fear, and 
you basically told them, you don't know what you're getting into in Mississippi, and you were trying to steer them away from bringing women and children, and that there was no place to stay. And I found it very interesting that you you had a different vision of why you were doing it than they did, because theirs was, my words now, making a statement, making a political action, drawing attention. Yours was showing the residents of Mississippi that they didn't have to fear. Actually, mine was to bring God in control and Jesus Christ as the way. I was scared to use those terms because you got to understand that we're only talking 60, 70 years ago. The attack on religion had already occurred. Don't you understand? American education system not only is the best system ever come across, but it is also the first system that he made a deliberate attempt to eliminate God from the process. And you strongly believe in good quality education. But I also believe the most important aspect of any education is the basic religious training. Which should start at the the home. No. No? Which should start in the community. The problem now, you see, that's the reason God made Moses come back to Mount Sinai after he sent him to bring the slaves back. The reason he had the slaves brought back to Mount Sinai was so he could make them understand the need for following the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are designed to rebuild broken families. After four or five hundred years in slavery, the family system has been broken down. The moral morality is always enforced by the family. But when the family is broken down, it has to be rebuilt. And that's what has to take place now. Because we have a lot of families that have broken down. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Meredith, I want to give you uh, the last word here. We're coming up on uh, the end of the hour. Give us your encouragement for not only our community, but the communities around the United States. What would you tell them? i tell them to join the James Meredith Bible Society reading group and Look at James Meredith. I, I can't remember. Online.com. Yeah, right. And every day I read the Bible and I post what I read every day on the website. And anybody in the world, free of charge, join the Bible Society Reading Group. And my goal, my promise to God is to start with Mississippi but to build a network all over the world. So if you want to find more about this, you can go to jamesmeredithonline.com, jamesmeredithonline.com. It's something like that. I don't know nothing about nothing younger than me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think you got it right. I, I can't never remember, but I th- I'm pretty sure that's right. We, we got it for you, Mr. Meredith. We got it for you. I want to thank you very much. Give our best to your wife. Well, thank you. We greatly appreciate you. you taking time to talk with us on St. Louis in Tune today about uh, the Bible Society and what it was doing and your life. And I appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to speak with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. 
If you enjoy this episode, please consider letting us know. The best way to do this is by rating us on Apple Podcast. You could even write a review. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker. 